Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. Good morning. My name is Matt. I'm one of the chaplains here with 2nd Brigade, Dragon Battalion. And if you were here last week, you heard the great message by Brother Dan about the introduction to Ephesians. And now, this morning, we will go over chapter 1 in the first 14 verses. I will be reading from the ESV version. So if you have a mobile app and if you want to get the direct similar translation, it is ESV. It is important to note that the first 14 verses of chapter 1 was originally written as a poem of praise. This is, this is if you will, Greek slash Jewish poetry, and it was one long sentence. If there's grammar people here, this is going to irritate you because it is one long run-on sentence. But it is deeply theological, deeply emotional, and it will hopefully deeply impact your own personal view of who God is and importantly, your identity in Him. There is one aspect of Christianity that makes this faith, this religion, different from all other faiths. Only one. And that is the aspect and the teaching of the Trinity. And the reason why that is so significant is because it professes that there is a Heavenly Father who created in love, a Heavenly Son that redeemed the lost, and a Holy Spirit that abides with God's children through all things. And as we read these first 14 verses, you will see the aspect, the teaching of the Trinity play out. And as we read, I want to encourage you to either take a tally mark, or if you believe in highlighting or underlining in your Bible, feel free to do so. But I want you to identify him and he, any references to God. Let's read. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who were in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Two references to the Trinity right there. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, verse 5, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, we're just saying that, 
with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13. In him. You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Please pray with me. Father God, you have provisioned this day to happen, and Lord, I pray that we as a church may respond well to your word, to your truth. And let my words this morning do not conflict with your gospel. Help me to speak plainly, help me to speak clearly. And to those before me, God, I pray that the hearts and ears are open. And in your son's name we pray, amen. There's a few references to God, isn't there? Just a couple, just a couple. I will say again, these first 14 verses, if they do not challenge you, then I have done something wrong. Because this is going to be a snapshot of, again, how you view Christ, how you view God the Father, how you view the Holy Spirit, and our great need for God. We're going to jump right in to our very first point that's going to start in verse 3. And part of this message is really just preaching through the text, highlighting the key words here. Let's read again verse 3 to verse 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I'm going to stop right there. Our first point is this. We have been blessed, chosen, and then set apart from the world. So what now? Have you ever received a blessing from somebody? Have you ever, you know, I don't know, had a birthday, and you get this gift, or maybe it's Christmas, and you're so excited about all the gifts, you might have tried to sneak, you know, shake them, trying to figure out what it is. And, and, and you get this gift, and you're like, yeah, this is exactly what I ever wanted. And then you get the, then you get the gift from, like, grandma, and it's this knitted thing that you don't even know what it's supposed to look like, and then you put it on, and it's too small. It just doesn't, doesn't fit right. But you're like, thank you. Or who here gets, like, socks for Christmas? Now, I love socks, so that's not a problem. But it's like, you know, that moment when you get this gift, and you're like, 
I don't really know how to respond to this, and so, thank you. You're just a bit unsure. The very first thing that Paul identifies is that he first starts the poem with a praise to the provider of all things. Let's look at that again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Initial beginning of the poem is a praise. So initial beginning of the poem is a praise. And then he begins his theologic poetry, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. You just heard from Brother Beckham with the scripture reading from 1 Peter that you have been bestowed a gift from God. And this gift has been from heaven. Brothers and sisters, you have a beloved identity from God and he has given you a special gift. This isn't, this isn't Superman. This isn't Spider-Man. This isn't something that has some sort of crutch. Spider-Man will eventually run out of webbing. Even Iron Man will run out of battery juice. And he dies at the end of it. If you haven't seen it, he dies, okay? Iron Man is dead. This isn't just special superhero powers. This is a specific gift that God looked upon you with grace and mercy and says, you are my child and that he has bestowed a gift upon us because of this beloved identity that he has for us. There's nothing lacking of this gift. Now you might be envious of somebody else's gift. I will let you know right now, if you are envious of public speaking gifts, I get terrified when I'm up here preaching and teaching the Word of God. There is nothing in me that says, put me under the spotlight. But I recognize that God has given me a calling to preach and teach the Word of God, and therefore I become faithful to it. And there have been times when I'm like, God, please, no. Don't put me up there. You're going to give me the first 14 verses of this book? How am I ever? But beloved, as God blesses you with a gift, He provisions your ability to live it out. There is nothing lacking about the blessings from God. Let's look at that again. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Keep in mind, he's writing to the church. He's writing to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was the philosophy center, philosophical center of the Roman Empire. This is the phil philosophical lion's den for Christians. Paul is literally, at one point, in Ephesus, debating and discussing with the thinking leaders of the day. And he's saying to the church, each and every single one of you have a part in it. Beloved, that means that none of you were just saved and be like, okay, you're team B. Football season has started. There's no backup quarterbacks on Christ's team, fellas and sisters. 
Because you have a beloved identity. Now look at the second point. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Look at verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, you have been chosen. And it was before the foundation of the world, which means you have done nothing yet in life. The fact that God has chosen you has not been predetermined by what you would do. I'm going to say that again. You have been chosen. Have you been in formation and your leader says, hey, who wants to volunteer for this? And everybody is like, no. And then what, what do we say? Okay, you have now been told. Let me tell you, beloved, you have been voluntold. But you have not been voluntold to just count people at the defect. You have not been voluntold to do gate guard ministry. You have not been voluntold to do meaningless things in life. God has chosen you. Out of no merit to which you have done, He has chosen you because He has made you. That there is a divine value to who you are and importantly, who you will be in Christ. Now again, this is even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. You have been chosen. There's a distinct value to the church and the people within the church. And I will tell you, we live in an anxious and fearful society of having this fear of failure or what what if I make a mistake? What if I do wrong? What if I'm not good enough? What if... I do something and I preach and I say something wrong. Are people going to lose their salvation because of me? The, the Bible study, the small group that my, that my wife and I host, we, we are going through the Chosen series. And if you have not watched it, I highly encourage you to watch it. You can watch it through, through, through several methods. Um, but... Even within the second episode, there's a profound moment when Jesus confronts Mary Magdalene and he says to her, hey, the thing that you're doing, you're not made for it. And then immediately, she falls to him, realizing who he is. Beloved by God, you have been chosen. If there is any doubt of your worth, if there is any doubt to your identity, if there is any doubt to your value, know that you have been chosen. Well, now, wait a minute. What if, chap, I've experienced trauma? What if, chaplain, I have done things and I have seen things in war through upbringing of my family where... I didn't want to be chosen. I wanted to be forgotten about. 
You know that is one of the biggest conflicts that many Jewish people have today. If we are truly the chosen people of God, how could you ever let this happen? Maybe you have said that as a Christian. Maybe you have said that as a church. We are going under now the greatest persecution of believers ever in the history of the church. Ever in the history of the church. There is great persecution. How, God, could you allow this to happen? We're going to get to that in a minute. But understand that you have been blessed by every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and you have been chosen by Him. And there is great value and worth. The last point, the last fill in the blank, if you will, for point one is that we have been set apart. Look at the tail end of verse four. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. To be holy means that you are set apart, that you are kept aside, that there is a distinction between this thing and, th and everything else. It's actually a term that was often used for animals that were to be sacrificed. That they are perfect. That there are no blemish. That there is nothing wrong with that animal and therefore worthy to be sacrificed to God. Beloved by God, the church of our Redeemer, we have been set apart from the rest of the world. And that means there will be persecution. And that means that people will look at us and hopefully say, hey, why are you different? Perhaps there's a verse that is written, when people look at you and ask you, what is your hope? Why are you so positive? Why are you so energetic? Chaplain, why do you say Merry Christmas every day? Well, because today is a gift. Why is it not a Christmas day? You have been set apart for a special plan. For a special purpose. Now, wait a minute. I think I can do things a little bit better than God. I think... Um, God's way, perhaps you know this cadence, you know, my way, or the highway. Maybe we've said that to God. Well, now, wait a minute. I prayed and I prayed and I tried and I tried and isn't that good enough? Literally had a conversation with a, with a brother in my unit and he was on fire for Jesus. He was so lit up. He was, you know, attending these small groups and just really uh, being encouraged by the word. And then finally, in a, in a prayer and a meditation, he, he believed that he heard the, ver the, the voice of God saying, you know, what you're doing to, for me is not enough. And he said, Chaplain, once I heard that, I got so angry. He said, how could this not be enough for him? And I said, you know, brother, it, it probably isn't. If, if you're trying to earn your salvation, it's probably not good enough. If you're trying to work 
If you're trying to outdo your wrongs, if you're trying to set yourself apart, it's probably not enough. Perhaps there's a verse in Matthew where people come to Jesus and says, Jesus, haven't we cast out these demons? Haven't we done these wonderful things in your name? And what does Jesus say? On that day, I will look at you and say, get away from me. I do not know you for you did not do my father's will. This whole verse 14 verses indicate the beauty, the, 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 the beautiful purpose and plan of God the Father's desire and His method and His plan of saving the, His people. It is not about our best efforts or our best intentions. It is about God removing us for Himself. Well, why Jesus? That's part of His plan. Talking to another another beloved one, one uh, who attends the chapel at the gym, and he was talking to a, to an unbeliever in his unit, and and the unbeliever soldier said, "Well, why did Jesus die for us? Why did God the Father die for us in that way?" And and the the, the believer said to him, "Because that is the immense love." That he has for us. And he began to share. Says as a father. As a dad. I could never imagine. Choosing my son. To be never on the cross. To die in the fashion in which he did. But what greater love is it. For a man to lay his life down. Point one says. We have been blessed. We have been chosen. And then we have been set apart from the world. So what now. Well what now we have to recognize. The great love. That was shown to us. Point two. In love we are now children. It is his purpose. That we are reunited with him. Look at verse five. In him he predestined us. For the adoption to himself. As sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will. Verse six. To the praise of his glorious grace. With which he has blessed us. In the beloved. I will tell you all, I purposely wore this shirt, not because it looks cool, not, the, not because it makes me look strong or buff or anything like that. It is a shirt that I received being the assistant coach and chaplain to Liberty University's paintball team. Anybody play paintball? I love paintball. I love shooting people. With paintball guns. I used to do it for marriage counseling. I would put the couples on opposite teams and have them just go after it. Okay? Generally worked everything out. But 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 before I was saved, I was part of a semi-professional paintball team. And we would travel up and down the East Coast. I was a young man. And this was awesome. People knew who I was states away from where I lived in Virginia. We had sponsorships. We would go to these tournaments and people would, would ask us for tips and, you know, pro tips and whatnot. And it was awesome. I had close friends on this team. They were my family. They were closer than my family. And then for graduating high school, my parents wanted to send me to a two-week Christian camp. And I was like, no, I am not going to VBS. What is this? My friends are getting cars. 
My friends are getting all these things, and where are you sending me? Christian camp. I was not a believer at the time. I was like, what in the world? No. And really, one of the biggest reasons why I finally stopped fighting it was because they had paintball there, and I could play paintball every day. I was like, well, okay, fine. And I went there, and I heard a message, and I knew without a doubt in my heart that if I were to die right then, I was going to hell. I knew it. I knew of God I could defend Christianity, but in the end I realized I was defending my parents' faith. I could not define or defend why I believed in God. It just made more logical sense to me. And I answered the call, the altar call, and my whole world shifted. My whole perspective on life shifted and I tried to get back into paintball with that paintball team and I realized man you guys I love y'all to life I love y'all so much but you are all heathens and I cannot spend this much time with you I just can't and it was painful it was so painful to let it go but I did and a couple of weeks later, I started to develop these ticks because I've been playing paintball every single week and there was a huge adrenaline. It was a huge stress releaser for me. And I said, I got to play. And I made a deal with God because, you know, that works that way. We make deals with God. That always works. And I said to God, I said, God, I'll do this faith thing. You know, I made this, you know, I recognize I was sinful. You paid my price. But God, please have a plan with paintball, please. That's really how deals work with God, isn't it? It's more like please and well-wishing. And I finally, make a long story short, I joined another paintball team that had some younger players. I was able to lead two of those younger players to Christ. I was able to eventually become, again, an assistant coach to a, to a college-level paintball team where we traveled far more, did far greater things. You know, listen, in love, he predestined us. Let me tell you something. There are many things that you and I will love. But there's a lot of things that we love that should be likes when it comes before God. All love requires sacrifice. All love requires sacrifice. We have read here that the love of God the Father required the, the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus his Son. Beloved by God, your identity is so great. What are the things that you love in life that should be sacrificed at the cross for his glory? There were things that I loved. Some of y'all knew that I was morbidly obese. There were things that I loved. I loved God and making taste buds. I loved food. And I also loved laziness. <clears throat> and I became morbidly obese. And finally I recognized I was convicted in my heart that if we have the belief that our body is a temple within it, it better look like one. And so I had to work extremely hard with it because obesity runs in my family. A lot of health problems running my family. And I finally got down in weight and I became a personal trainer. And now I look at working out as being so superficial, so facade. Yes, it needs, yes, we need to be physically adequate. But if it is not for God's glory, it is utterly meaningless. How much effort, how much sweat do you put underneath the squat bar and yet what yield does it do to your salvation? Nothing. All Love requires sacrifice. And again, for y'all fitness people, I became a personal trainer. I trained young kids who were junior Olympians. I was good at it. 
And then I eventually realized that it took too much time away from me growing in my faith. And I realized that there were better things, not wrong things that I was doing, not sinful things, but better things. Again, in love, he predestined us for the adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Now, again, if you like to highlight, if you like to take notes, I want you to highlight, put asterisks underneath adoption. And the reason why that is so significant is because for those of you that have been adopted, then you personally know this. But when you become adopted, your original birth certificate gets shredded. Is no more. Your original social security number is no more. You are granted a whole new birth certificate. You are granted a whole new social security number because what has happened in the past, your past identity, means nothing. You have a new parent. And that parent has chosen you to be their son or daughter. Matter of fact, Roman culture stated, well, I, I, I just learned about this last Thursday during the preaching team, Roman culture dictated that you could give away your biological child. But if you adopted another child, you could not give that child away because you chose that person to be your responsibility, to be your family. Again, you have been chosen to be adopted sons and daughters of the Most High. We have been brought into his family to do great and purposeful things. He did not just choose us so that we could feel happy thoughts through lifetime movies or to live a life as if it was going to be a Hallmark gift card. That is not the purpose of his will. The purpose of his will may be for us to go through the valleys so that we can be a testimony of his grace, of his mercy. In love, always remember this, beloved. All love requires sacrifice. What are you willing to sacrifice for the thing that you love? Lord made me convicted this morning. I'm a Browns fan. Our game started at 7 a.m. And I was like, no, I got to turn it off. All love requires sacrifice. What are you willing to sacrifice? Because God the Father sacrificed his son so that he could call you son and daughter. And that's not meant to guilt you, but I hope it convicts all of us because look at verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. That is his very purpose. It's to bridge the gap between sinful man and God's holiness. Because God has already set himself apart. And what he is doing now through salvation is separating the sheep and the goats. You are loved. And that love came with an extreme cost. Point number three. Which riches are you wanting and what grace do you know? 
Let's look at this in the text. Look at verse 8. I'm sorry, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. We have a rich heavenly father. We have a rich heavenly father. You know, and I was thinking, you know, there's some people who look at our chapel service and say, ah, oh, you're just a chapel, whatever. You only have a service for an hour and this, that, and the other. It's hard to focus on God for an hour, for an hour isn't it? Who here faithfully keeps the Sabbath? I don't. I'll be honest. We've been talking about this in small group. What does it mean to not work? What does it mean to just focus on the Lord? But as I have grown in my faith, I have just... I, I, you know, the, the, the Psalms say, my heart longs to be in my Father's courts. I ask you, I ask this church, do we long that? To be still and to remember that He is God. And do we not remember what Jesus says to His own disciples in the garden hours before He was taken away to be nailed on the cross? Hours before He was taken away to be inspected. Will you not just focus on me for an hour? Beloved, I encourage you, whatever method, whatever way, whatever you do your Sabbath, do it and be faithful. And He will richly bless you with His peace, with His patience, with all the things that He promises. He has richly given us His grace. But what riches do we follow? It is easy to live life with this question. Well, not really this question, but to have this, to have this thought of, do we really know what having the fear of man is and the fear of God is? I had this conversation with one of my company commanders just this past week. And I told him, I said, well, here's the layman's version of it. To have the fear of man means that you are deathly concerned with what your OER or your NCOER is going to say. Not to say that we should not be proud of our efforts. The Bible says we should do all things for the glory of God. And therefore, we should do it well. We should honor God with our work. Beloved, work is a good thing. Remember that tomorrow morning during PT. Work is a good thing. But are we so concerned that we start doing things, that we start saying things, that we change who we are to the point where we look in the mirror and we can't even recognize who we are anymore? Do we have such fear of man that we conform to the world? And we forget the renewal of our minds. I'm going to use a silly analogy. I love facial hair. That's weird for anybody to say. Before joining and going active duty, I had serious concerns that I would actually be able to shave every day. Before going active duty, before joining the Army, reserves, because I was a reservist before. I had a Duck Dynasty beard, people. It was beautiful. I could twill it and everything. 
It was beautiful beard. And now I have a mustache, and people say, you know, chaplain, officers don't grow mustaches. And I say to them, show me where in the regulations. Well, it's not really a regulation. It's just like a blue law thing. And I said, well, then your opinion really doesn't matter to me. I don't care about your opinion and about your tradition. I don't care. We have been richly given his spirit, which is not a timid spirit. And the reason why I use a silly mustache thing is just to make you all laugh and giggle and whatnot. But the reality is, are we so paranoid of how others look at us? Well, if I don't leave, if I leave a little bit early, if I don't ask for time off, going to be perceived? Are they going to look at me as a shammer? Are they going to think that I don't care? Let's think about two spouses. If I go to work, how's the world going to judge me? If I stay home from work, how's the world going to judge me? If I pursue school, how's the world going to judge me? If I raise my if I raise my kids this way and they're still screaming at church, are people going to cut me off? No, we won't. How does the world view our identity Beloved, I tell you, it is a hard lesson to learn repeatedly to think, yes, I do care how the world sees Christ in me, but I don't really care if you don't like me. Because God has already set me apart and therefore I know the persecution is coming. I already know that when my boss looks at me as a chaplain, he is setting me apart from all the other combat commanders he has. And that's okay. Because that is the calling that he has put on my life. Are we so concerned with the riches, with the illusionary riches that the world promises us? Or are we, and do we know, and do we believe that God the Father can profoundly bestow upon us far greater riches? I'll give you one more analogy. The wicked winter witch of the Chronicles of Narnia could only tempt the people with food and things that taste good. Tell me, who else can tempt us with things that feel good? Satan's promises are only of pleasurary things, but not eternal things. What riches are you wanting and what grace do you know? How, how often have I tell you plenty of stories. I can, I can do a whole sermon of stories where I've counted on the grace from unbelievers and was completely left to fall on my face. Hey, this is going to be our last point and our closing point. And now we are sealed into an inheritance that cannot be taken, but it can be shaken. I want you all to jump down to verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of our, of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The full measure of our inheritance will not be met, will not be met or felt here. It will be in earth. Nope, it will be in heaven. <laughs> it will be in heaven. 
And therefore, it, great, it takes great patience and great endurance to run that race that is set before you. And therefore, it is why we need to continually look at the pioneer and the perfecter of that faith so we can run that race that's set before us. Beloved, I tell you, you are sealed with the Spirit if you truly believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. That does not mean that you will not be tempted to sin. That does not mean that you will never have this perfect life where you can maintain the Sabbath with no distractions. It does not mean that there aren't scars that may need more healing. But what it does mean is that His very presence is no longer in some outside temple, but it, His presence is in you. And what that ceiling looks like is the assurance that you can never lose your salvation. Well, what if this, and what if this, and what if... Well, what if the cross redeemed all your sins? We live in an anxious world. We live in a very troubled world. A world that is filled and full of all those what-ifs, of all the how-comes and the should-haves and the could-haves. And as we try to live in a world where, you, where we constantly try to figure out what we don't know, it is good to remember what you do know. And that is that you have been redeemed, that you have been chosen, and through that chosen you have been sealed by the Spirit. And how that is revealed to you is a great mystery that gets unveiled. And I encourage you to continue to come back and understand what that means to have a mystery revealed to you. To have that contention of knowing that we are saved and yet still tempted by sin. And even Paul said that I do what I don't want to do. And I'm going to encourage you with this. You are not alone in those struggles. You are not alone to be a church by yourself. And importantly, not alone to be a church for yourself. That God has set you apart to do a great and beautiful purpose on earth. And that inheritance cannot be taken, but it can be shaken. That we can have our doubts. We can ask God honest questions. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that at the end of the day, what do you know? Do you know you have been redeemed? And if there's any question to that, do not hesitate to ask us and go before that cross. Please join me in prayer. Father God, you are so patient with your people. And I pray, O oh Lord, that as we sing this last worship song, that you reveal yourself in a powerful way. That you truly are the King of Kings, that you truly are the one who redeems us and seals us to himself, that as the old hymnist says, Lord, I am proud to wonder, 
prone to leave the God I love, take my heart and seal it. And God, I pray that we make that confession this morning. That even those who know you still understand that we must give you our heart. And that you give us a new one. That we make that choice every day. And God, I pray that if there's anyone here that doubts their salvation, that you will make it greatly assured to them. And in your name do we pray. Amen.